Have your Bibles join me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. I want to thank Greg and Lynn and the choir. Thank you, Phil. What a joy it is to be in the Lord's house today. Thank God for the Word of God and the Spirit of God. May He move in our lives to draw us closer to Himself. Uh, 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 6. Now, remember, when Paul wrote the letter to the church at Corinth, he was challenging them in their commitments. They were committed to a lot of different things. They were committed uh, to other people, not our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They were committed to the gifts that God had given them uh, more than they were committed to Jesus. Uh, They were committed uh, to man's wisdom more than they were committed to God's wisdom. And when we come to this section of Scripture, we actually see Paul deal with this issue of our commitment to the true wisdom of God. There is the world's wisdom, and then there is godly wisdom. So you you think about it this way in regards to wisdom. uh, and There's a vast difference between wisdom and knowledge. Uh, Knowledge, for example, is uh, knowing that a tomato is a fruit. But wisdom is not putting that tomato in a fruit salad. That's wisdom. So there's a vast difference. What we want today is we want God's wisdom. And might I say that the only place you're going to find God's wisdom is in the Word of God. It's where you're going to find it. It's going to be right here. So let's cast our attention to the Word of God, and let's look and see how Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, deals with this issue of true biblical wisdom, God's wisdom. If you're able to stand, would you please stand in the honor of God's Word? I did this the first uh, or the second hour. And it sure did encourage my heart. But if you have your Bibles today, would you just lift them up and encourage me today? Good night of living. Uh, That is just a real joy. Thank you. Let's look at verse 6 together then. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit teacheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so... The things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. That ye himself is judged of no man, for who knoweth, or who know the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. You may be seated for prayer this morning. Father, I pray that I'd ever the more decrease and you would all the more increase. 
Lord, the best that I know how, Lord, I've yielded myself to you already and do it once again here this morning to be used as your mouthpiece to preach your word. God, I pray that you would draw us to yourself. God, I pray we'd be fully focused and committed to the true wisdom of God. May we see it in your word. May your Holy Spirit speak truth into our lives. God, we'll be very careful to give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Thank you for what you did the first hour. Thank you for what you've done the second hour. And already I thank you for what you're doing in this third and final hour this morning. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. There is all kinds of advice out there today concerning the world's wisdom. Uh, You listen today, you can hear the words of Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein said this, and I quote, Wisdom is not a product of schooling, but of the lifelong attempt to acquire it. Now that sounds really good, but that's worldly wisdom. The Bible says that God gives wisdom liberally. You just have to ask. He will give you His wisdom. You don't have to acquire it. You just ask Him for it. He'll give it to you. Albert Einstein had the true wisdom wrong. Uh, There's another Asian philosopher by the name of Tao Tzu, and he said this about wisdom. He said, quote, to obtain knowledge, add things every day. To obtain wisdom, remove things every day. Now again, that is probably good if you're looking for worldly wisdom, but that's not going to get you anything when it comes to God and God's Word. That's not biblical wisdom. Then you think about uh, probably one of the greatest prophets that exists during our lifetime, the great Oprah Winfrey. She prophesied about wisdom, had something great to say about it in her own mind. Listen to what she says about wisdom, and I quote, Follow your instincts. That's where true wisdom manifests itself. You just remember, the word instincts always ends with the word stink. You better be careful following your instincts. What amazes me about some of these wisdom quotes is that the world loves this kind of stuff. And we love it to the point that we will take it and embrace it and hold on to it, and we will even adapt it and bring it into the church of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what happened in Paul's day to the church at Corinth. The Corinth church was listening to the philosophy of the Greeks that existed there in its community, and they were listening to it to such a capacity that the born-again children of God were reaching out and holding on to what man was saying as opposed to listening and obeying what God was saying. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, when he sat down, was dealing with the church that had become divided because its members had been splintered and gone off in many different directions. Some were saying, I'm going to follow Paul, I'm going to follow Apollos, I'm going to follow Cephas, I'm going to follow the Greeks, I'm going to, I'm going to follow the Jews, I'm going to add what, what I've got of Jesus Christ with a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you add Jesus with a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you got a little bit of nothing. So we find here in regards to Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And so in this passage of Scripture, in this text before us today, Paul is going to set forth the simplicity and the superiority of true wisdom. True wisdom is wisdom that only comes from God. In verse 6 and 7, Paul writes that God's wisdom is vastly different than the world's wisdom. Look at what the Bible says in verse 6 and 7. 
He says, how be it we, talking about Paul, the apostles, those that wrote the New Testament, he says, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world. He says, we don't speak Oprah Winfrey's wisdom. We don't speak Teo Zhao's wisdom. We don't speak Albert Einstein's wisdom. No, we speak the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God comes from God Almighty. And look at what he says here, though. He says, we speak this wisdom. Now, if you mark in your Bible, I'd underline that word wisdom. That word uh, wisdom there carries the definition of this. It means supreme intelligence such as belongs to God in Christ in executing counsel. So this is God in his execution of counsel to mankind. That is wisdom. God's counsel is wisdom. In the context by which he's writing this, he's referencing the cross. Remember what the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 18. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish. It's foolishness. But to us that are saved, it's the power of God. So he's, he's got this in mind. What he's saying here is true biblical wisdom is Christ-centered. It's Christ-centered. Biblical wisdom is biblically mandated, but it's Christ, or excuse me, Christ-centered from the cross. It deals in the form of the cross. Paul's referring here to the message of the cross. Notice what he says again in verse 6. He says, I'm talking among those that are perfect. He's referring there to those that not have been cleansed to perfection. No, He's using the word perfect there to talk about those that are mature in Jesus Christ. He says those that are mature in Jesus Christ clearly understand the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross is the power of God, and the power of God moves us into maturity in knowing that we never leave the cross. We only become have a more profound understanding of what Jesus Christ done on the cross. So what are, you, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. Are you a mature believer? You say, well, I, I hope so. I've been saved for, for 20-something years. I've been saved for 10 years. I've been saved for 40 years. Well, whatever the case may be, I, I hope I'm a mature Christian. Well, then let me ask you a few questions. In regards to this issue of your Christian maturity, have you arrived at the conclusion that your perspective of the cross is the answer for all of life's complexities? That's what a mature believer does. A mature believer looks at the complexities of life and clearly understands that the answer to those conflicts is the cross. So what do you mean? Take church conflict as an example. you got a church conflict. you got some folks that are upset at each other and uh, they're, uh, uh, they're at odds with one another. What's the one thing that bonds us together? The cross. The cross is where we find forgiveness. The cross is where we find atonement. The cross is where we find redemption. The cross is where we find the relationship between God and man restored. Why? Because Jesus gave His blood for, on the cross for us. So what does a mature believer look like in regards to church conflict? It means that we rally around the cross. That's where our unity is. Oh, what about this? What about if you've got a problem in your marriage? Husband and wife are at odds with each other. What's the cure for that? The cross. The cross, why? Once again, it's where we find forgiveness. It's once again where we find acceptance. It's once again where we find redemption. If we rally around the cross, we find the simplicity and the superiority of God's wisdom in the cross. Uh, this principle applies to us today in regards to the conflict that we might have at work. 
you might have a problem with your boss or your co-workers. What's the answer? The cross. So well, they're lost. It's not for them. It's for you. It's for you to, to take the high road and to seek forgiveness. It's for you. You have a deeper understanding in your maturity of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm here to tell you today. We never move from the cross of Christ only into a more profound position and understanding that that's where true wisdom lies. So in verse 7, Paul speaks here in the text of the wisdom of God. And he says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now listen to me very carefully. The mystery concealed was the message of the cross. The mystery revealed is the church is the bride of Christ. Oh, dear friend, listen to me. In regards to this issue of who we are in Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God in a mystery is the cross. You think about it just for a moment. Uh, turn, turn your Bibles over, if you would, to, to chapter 1. In chapter 1, in verse number 18, Paul says this. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. The illustration that we find here in this text is John 18, 38. Where Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate says, well, in regards to this, who are you? And he says, well, I'm come, Jesus said, I'm come to reveal truth, to convey truth. And what does Pilate say? What is truth? Pilate was standing before the very truth. He was standing before truth incarnate. Yet he could not comprehend it. He was listening with his head and not with his heart. And notice what the Bible says in verse number 8. The Bible says in chapter 2 verse 8, Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had Pilate listened with his heart, Jesus wouldn't have been crucified. Why? Because he had accepted Christ as Savior. But the bottom line is this. He listened with his head and not with his heart. And in regards to this, we find in verse number 9, look at what he says there. He says, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the thing which God hath prepared for them that love him. The wisdom of God is hidden from the intelligence of men. The fact of the matter is, you might try your best to understand God. You say, man, I'm going to get it. I'm going to understand it. I'm going to have great knowledge. You might have knowledge about who God is, but you'll never know him as Savior. You must be born again. So here's the question. The question then lies at this. How then does one understand the true heart wisdom that comes from God? How do you understand it? Well, Paul answers that question in verses 10 through 16. Paul explains the answer to that question. And in a nutshell, he basically says this. The wisdom of God is always conveyed through the Spirit of God. The wisdom of God is always conveyed through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Ghost. In order to understand the truth of God, we need the spiritual assistance of the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul gives us three principles concerning the Holy Spirit and how we receive real truth. I mean true truth that comes through the Word of God. Let me give them to you this morning. Number one, the first way that you you receive true truth or the truth of God is you receive it through spiritual revelation. Through spiritual revelation. Look at what the Bible says. Let's look at the text. God, what do you say about this? Notice what he says in verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. 
For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. According to the Bible, the Word of God, Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, says in order to understand the true wisdom of God, we must acknowledge that the Holy Spirit of God reveals that truth to us. Again, in verse number 10, look, to take your pen or pencil, lipstick or mascara, I would underline, highlight, put an asterisk by, I would mark in some way that word revealed. The word revealed here in the text is a Greek word, apocalypto. It means to uncover. It means to lay open uh, what one has been veiled or covered up. It means to expose something. Uh, Here's my question this morning. Think about this for a minute. What was veiled or covered up before the cross? Before Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, what was veiled? What was covered up? The Holy of Holies. It was veiled. The Bible says there was a veil there. You could not go in there. As a matter of fact, if you were the priest and it was your turn to to operate the Holy of Holies, you had to confess your sins and do all the rituals, and then they'd tie a rope to you, and you'd go in there into the Holy of Holies. And if you didn't confess all your sin, if you had done something wrong before God Almighty, He'd strike you dead right there in the Holy of Holies, and bless God, they'd have to drag you out. It was veiled. Nobody could go in there. It was a mystery what was behind that curtain. But one day, on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross. Jesus willingly laid down his life and put himself on that cross for your sins and mine. He crucified. He was crucified. He gave himself a ransom, a sacrifice. He was the last sacrifice to ever be established. So how do you know that, preacher? Because what happened to that which was veiled? What happened to the mystery? The Bible says that when Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, at that very moment when he died, there was a rip. It ripped the Holy of Holies, ripped the veil, ripped open, exposing the Holy of Holies, saying you can come straight to the very throne room of God. Spiritual revelation. You ever thought about who ripped that? Who ripped that? The Spirit of God. Spirit of God, man, I can see it in my mind's eye. You ever thought about this? In your mind's eyes, Jesus Christ is dying on Calvary's cross. God the Father is looking at the Son. The Son is looking at God the Father. And the Holy Spirit has got His hands. He's got His hands right there on the veil, ready, ready. And when the time comes, He said, RIP! You've got access to the throne of God. The revelation of the Spirit. Well, that causes us to think about a few things. As a matter of fact, it causes us to think about two things. Number one, it causes us to think about our limitations. We do have limitations. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. According to the Word of God, the Bible says that you and I have limitations. Paul is referring back to chapter 1, verse 21. You remember what that verse said? Let's look at it together very quickly. He's referring back to this verse where the Bible says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now I want you to notice this here. I want you to notice the Bible says, The world by wisdom knew not God. According to this passage of Scripture, 
Scripture, what he's saying contextually here is human observation, human wisdom. Man could not understand the things of God in human wisdom. And what he's saying is you can listen to Oprah Winfrey all day long, but that's not going to save you. You can listen to uh, Albert Einstein all day long. It ain't going to save you. You can listen to Chinese philosophers all you want. It ain't going to save you. They may make good cookies, but don't pay any attention to the little note that's in there unless you put at church at the end of it. You ever played that game at a Chinese restaurant? You get your little fortune cookie and open it up. Read the fortune cookie, cookie and at the end of it say, in church. Make it, make it uh, in church. You'll be, you'll be tickled to death. It says, you'll have great revelation today in church. Praise God. That might happen. If the preacher preaches the Word of God, it'll happen, I guarantee you. <clears throat> uh, the Bible says that man could not discover God's plan for salvation through his own wisdom. But through, the, uh, through observation, man can discover many things. But our discoveries are limited. So what do you mean? Think about it just for a minute. We can go out there to Walmart and we can buy one of them uh, microscopes. We can take that microscope home, we can put that microscope on the table, we can fix that little light in there, and we can slide something in there, and we can see all the complexities of the cells. Man, we can see some things. Uh, we could step away from that microscope and we could walk on over to a telescope and we could look up into the night sky and we can see all the vastness of God's discovery. Man, we can see everything. The Bible is true. The heavens declare the glory of God. Human observation can reveal some things, but I'm telling you, there's some things human observation cannot reveal. The Bible says, I cannot see nor ear can hear. That is that the faculties cannot comprehend the things of God unless they are aided by the Holy Spirit of God. Romans chapter 11 verse 33 says, Oh, the depths of His riches, both of wisdom and knowledge in God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past our findings. The only way you'll know what God's telling you is if the Holy Spirit enlightens you and you receive what God's saying through this spiritual revelation. The Bible talks about John chapter 3, the uh, dear Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a great theologian, yet Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, What must I do to be saved? Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again. He says, how in the world can I be born? I'm an old man. Can I be born a second time? And Jesus says, except a man be born, watch this, of the Spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What was Jesus telling Nicodemus that day? He's saying, Nicodemus, your intellect has blinded you from the true truth. The truth of the matter is, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit of God that's not speaking to your head, but that's speaking to your heart. Oh, listen, Solomon had it right when he said, God has put a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. You know eternity is established in your heart. If you'd only listen to your heart, you'd know that Jesus is who He says He was. And the Spirit of God wants all men to be saved. Jesus wants all men to be saved. When will you listen with your heart and stop listening with your head? The intellect of man is blinded by the things of God. The Spirit reveals the truth of God when one receives Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. And by the way, it's at that very moment, according to 1 Corinthians 3.16, when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit of God. We find it that makes it possible for us to receive and comprehend the truths of God's Word. We see uh, our limitations. But we also see his revelation in verse 10. Notice what he says there in the latter part of verse 10. He says, For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. He uses that word searcheth there in the text. The word searcheth there means to look for. 
In this case, the Holy Spirit is described as a searcher. Notice it. Look at it one more time. Let's make sure we understand all on the same page. The Bible says there, But God hath revealed to us, that is those of us that are saved, by the Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. You see, we want to hang on that deep things of God so hard that we say, wait a minute, here's, here's where it is. No, 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 watch, watch. I'm about to explain this. The key to this passage of Scripture is not the deep things of God. The key there is what He's searching for. I would underline that word search. Why? Because that verb is so vitally important to the context of this, of this passage. Remember, contextually, he's talking about unity. He's wanting us all to unify, if you would, around the cross of Jesus Christ. And to understand that the true wisdom of God, and being committed to the true wisdom of God, is being committed to God and His Word. And in being committed to God and His Word, we understand that the Holy Spirit is active and is doing something right now today. The Holy Spirit is searching for the deep things of God. What are the deep things of God? What is it that the Holy Spirit is searching? I can promise you this. The deep things of God are not Calvinism. The deep things of God are not Arminianism. The deep things of God are are not Lordship Salvation or Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or Pentecostal or any or any other separation that that man might have made in regards to doctrine that will that will cloud if you will what this passage of scripture is talking about. No, the context by which he's talking about here, the deep things of God are the salvation of lost souls. Again, look at the text. The context says in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, which are, but we are that are saved. It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the intelligent. Where is the wise? The wise is in understanding. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus Christ can save you. So what is the Holy Spirit searching for? Watch this. Oh, this is so exciting. Right now, as I'm preaching this message, right now today, the Holy Spirit is moving up and down, up and down, up and down. He's all through these aisles. He's right where you're at. He's right beside you. He is there, and He's looking for lost souls. Last week, the Holy Spirit of God found two. Preach the gospel. Give seven appeals. I gave seven appeals this hour. Seven appeals this hour last week. Well, that last verse, thanks be unto God, that dear precious soul said, It's me, it's me, the Spirit's searching for, and I'm tired of trying to hide from Him. I'm coming to the Spirit of God. And gave his heart in Christ to Jesus Christ, got baptized just a few minutes ago. Spiritual revelation. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is wanting to reveal truth to you today. And the truth is, without Jesus Christ, you'll die in your sins, split hell wide open. But God doesn't want you to go to hell the Spirit of God is giving you convicting power that you might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Number two, not only do you see spiritual revelation, but you also see spiritual illumination. Spiritual illumination. Say, so where's that at? Verse 11 and 12. Follow me now. Stay with me. Don't, don't get lost. Get back on the road. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, say the Spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us. Paul is saying here, 
that the Holy Spirit enlightens the minds of the believer and enables him to comprehend the things that he would not normally comprehend in the Word of God. So what do you mean? Well, what he does here in this text is he does two things. Number one, he uses an analogy. Watch this analogy he uses in verse 11. He says, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? You know what Paul's saying there? Nobody knows you but you. I have counseled people my whole 20 plus years of ministry. I've had couples in my office that have been married for 30 years. And they think they know each other. Man, they can finish each other's thoughts. I mean, they, they know each other. But they come in my office after a 30-year stint of marriage, and one spouse looks at me and says, 30 years. 30 years. I thought I knew my spouse. But I didn't really know them. They've been living a secret life for 30 years. Running around on, my, on me. I've lived with them for 30 years, and I really never, really knew them. Dear friend, I have news for you. There's somebody else other than you who really knows who you are. And that's the Spirit of God. Look at verse number 11 again. He says, For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Oh, watch this. In his analogy, he says this. Just like God knows you, God knows that. The Holy Spirit of God knows everything about you. You think you're getting away with it, but you ain't getting away with nothing. You'll stand before a holy and righteous God. And I'm telling you what, according to the Word of God, he says you'll give an account. You'll stand before him in judgment. And just like God knows the things of, of God, like God knows the things that you're going through. God knows you. Just like that, he says this in the latter part. So too the Spirit of God knows God. Look, look at it right there. Look at verse 11 in the latter part. Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. That's his analogy. And then watch this. He gives an application in verse 12. Watch this application he gives. He says, now that you understand that, he says, you need to understand this. We, talking about Christians have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God. Uh-oh. That we might know the things that are already freely given to us of God. Watch this. Watch this. Don't miss this, friend. As a born-again child of God, when I got saved, I received the Holy Spirit of God. And the application that Paul is telling us here is that as I have received the Spirit of God on March 22, 1988, the same Spirit that knows God, God knows that Spirit. And because God knows that Spirit and that Spirit knows me, I know that Spirit, which means I know God. And if I know God, according to the Word of God, if I know God, then I know what's been, look at it, freely given to us of God. What has been freely given to us of God? What is it? Salvation. salvation. We've been freely given salvation by God through Jesus Christ. Oh, he's talking about here, winning people to Jesus Christ. You ever met somebody like this? So they say, I don't understand the Bible. I just don't understand it. 
You know, there's only two reasons why people don't understand the Bible. Only two reasons. Number one, they're lost. They're lost. Or number two, they don't ask God for the illuminating power of the Spirit of God to open up the text and reveal truth to them. You've got to have the illuminating power. Look, I'm a country boy from the backwoods of Alabama. Say, yeah, but you've been in seminary half your life. That may be true, but I'm going to tell you why. They tried their best to get, get me, teach me to say God, and I'm not going to do it. Bless God, he's my father. He is the one that saved my soul. He's the one that sent his son to die on Calvary's cross. They may have educated me, but bless God, they didn't make me lose my zeal. I don't care how sick I feel. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. So, so, so listen, you don't understand the Bible? You're either lost or you're not asking God for the spiritual illumination that comes to Him. This is in the Scripture right here. It is spiritual illumination. We have the Spirit of God. You know, it used to be they didn't have in most seminaries. You ever met, Dave, you ever met one of them old, old-timer, them windsucker preachers? I mean, they, they don't have, listen, I'm not being silly. I'm being serious. Bless God, they don't have an hour of seminary education. But some of them men are some of the smartest men I think I've ever sat down and talked to. I mean, you sit them down and talk with them, and man, they can just take the Word of God and open it up. Say, how in the, how in the world did you get so smart? And this is what they say. I'm too dumb to know anything. So I take the Word of God and I open it up. And I ask God, who is my Father, to illuminate my mind, to open my understanding. And He's always kept His Word, and He's always showed me the truth. I'm going to tell you what, it worked back then, it'll work today. You don't understand the Word of God, it ain't because you need a new version. It ain't because you need to go to Faith Bible Institute or you need to get another education or another PhD or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Listen. First thing you need to do is you need to make sure you're born again. And number two, the second thing you need to do is you need to make sure that the Spirit of God is illuminating your mind, is opening your understanding that you might receive the Word of God. Let me give you this third one. I got five minutes. I'm out of time. By the way, Jesus, but let me just say this. I, I got to. Jesus said something about this in John chapter 16, verse 13. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, How be it then, or how be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. If this is the truth, the true truth of God, and you don't understand it, and the Spirit of God dwells and lives inside of you, you ask that Spirit of God to illuminate your mind to understand the Word of God. He'll do it, I promise. Number three. Here's the final. Here's the final thing. <clears throat> Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to understand true wisdom and commit themselves to true wisdom. He says, I want you to commit yourself to true wisdom, and you do this through spiritual revelation. The Spirit of God reveals it to you. You do it through spiritual illumination, asking God to open up your understanding in mind. And then number three, 
He says you, you got to understand it and you get it through spiritual uh, inspiration. Spiritual inspiration. This is verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 and 14, he talks about spiritual inspiration. What he does is he takes, God, he takes spiritual revelation. Remember what that is. That is, uh, if you will, God revealing himself to man through the Spirit of God. And spiritual illumination, they come together, opening the heart and mind of God. And we find that the men of God that understood this wrote the Word of God, not of their own, but they wrote it as they were instructed by the Spirit of God. Notice what he says in the text. Spiritual revelation. He says, which things also we speak. Again, he's talking about the writers of the Word of God. We speak these things. We're speaking what the Holy Spirit has spoken to us. Not in the words of man's wisdom. Not in what man that, that he teaches. But which the Holy Ghost teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Which just simply means this. When you read the text of the Word of God and you see God doing something spiritually, it'll match up your spirit with, with God's spirit and you'll know it to be true. But look at verse number 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He just simply says this. How in the world could a person come to a church service like this and hear uh, God move in a mighty way, and the Spirit of God move, and the Spirit of God go throughout this congregation searching for lost people, searching for people that don't know Christ as Savior. How could that person sit here and listen to that message and get under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God and listen, and then all of a sudden just not move and turn around and walk out? I'll tell you why, because they're natural man. They're in the natural state. They're hearing with their head. They're not hearing with their hearts. And he says here in this passage of Scripture, he says, The natural man will not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him. They'll walk in and go, man, that, that, that crazy. It cannot, it cannot be that easy. You hear me, please. You hear me. God never said it'd be easy. Two, two things here, and I close. Paul, in verse 13, deals with this aspect of verbal inspiration. Verbal inspiration. The Spirit spoke to them. He says, the things which we speak are not the words of man, but they are the Holy Ghost teaching. We're listening to the Holy Ghost, and we're teaching what the Holy Ghost is saying to us. <clears throat> Paul dealt with this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, when he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Peter dealt with this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. He says, knowing this, first, that no prophecy of Scripture is in need of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came uh, not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God, God holy men uh, of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. And the Bible is not just the Word of God, but it is the words of of God. So why is that so important to you when you emphasize that? Because a lot of people say what's important is the concept. Just the concept. No, 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 that's not true. 
The Bible says, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus said it. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law till it be fulfilled. He says, every word is important. Let me just say this and I close. <clears throat> One of the main reasons America has declined is because we have cut ourselves off from the eternal, unchangeable, God-breathed Word. We have become the Jehoiakims of our day. You remember who Jehoiakim was? Jehoiakim's found in Jeremiah chapter 36. Jehoiakim was a judge. He sat in the seat of judgment. And he would take the Word of God. And he would look at the Word of God. And he would take out his knife and he'd say, You know what? I don't like this part of Scripture. And he would cut it out and he'd throw it in the fire. We have become the Jehoiakims of the day. We see in the Bible, Thou shalt not commit adultery. We say, I don't like that. I kind of like committing adultery. That's fun. I like it. And we cut it out and we throw it away. The Bible says it's not wise for a Christian to drink. We say, I don't like that. I like drinking. I, I like it. So I'm, gonna take, I'm just going to cut that verse out. That, that, that doesn't apply to me. Take, and we throw it in the fire. We read in the Word of God where it, it says that uh, immorality is wrong. We say, well, I, I kind of like being immoral. I kind of enjoy that. So we cut it out. And we throw it in the fire. Here's what we do. We do what's right in our own eyes. John chapter 12, verse 48. The Bible says, The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge men in the last day. Oh, did you hear that? The same word that I've spoken, Jesus said, will be the word by which I judge on the last day. Well, that brings us to verse 14 in the last part. You see not only verbal inspiration, but you see natural rejection. Look at verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, for there are foolishness unto him. Dear friend, don't be this man. Don't leave here today saying, Man, I'm going to tell you what that preacher talked about, spiritual things and spiritual matter. And that is absolutely foolishness. I, I think we are beyond that. Dear friend... I promise you the only way you'll be saved is through the Spirit. It's the only way you'll be born again. March 22, 1988, I was a 14-year-old boy sitting about two or three rows back. Preacher was preaching. I can't tell you his points, can't tell you his message. He gave a good old-fashioned gospel invitation, said Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, was buried, and on the third day rose again. He did that for you. He took your place. And I'm telling you what, when he said we're about to stand in just a moment and we're going to have an invitation, the Spirit of God hit me with such conviction. I felt so convicted over my sin. I knew at that very moment if I was to die, I'd go to hell. I couldn't handle it any longer. As a 14-year-old boy, I turned loose of that pew. I turned to my friends. I said, y'all got to get out of the way. I have got to go see Mr. Davis. And I walked down and I came down to Mr. Davis, who was my principal. He stuck his hand out. He said, 
Are you okay, Shane? I started weeping, say, I'm not okay, Mr. Davis. If I died today, I'd go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I know Jesus died for my sin. I know that he died for me. I want to get saved today. And right there is a 14-year-old boy. I put my hands in my face. And when I prayed, I asked God to forgive me of my sin. Now, here, listen to me. I didn't hear the hallelujah chorus. A bright light didn't shine from heaven. I didn't hear the, even the angels sing. But the Bible says they rejoiced. The Hebrews says the, uh, the angels of heaven strain over the banisters looking into this thing called salvation because they don't understand it. It's not foolishness. It's the power of God into salvation. Dear friend, if you ain't never experienced that today, today's the day of salvation. Don't be a natural man and walk out of here without Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Dear friend, if you're here today and you want to trust Christ as Savior, you don't want to be dead in your sin anymore. You're ready to be enlightened into spiritual things. Then you need to come to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to do what the Scripture says do. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, the Bible says quit listening with your head. Start listening with your heart. And from your heart, why don't you say this to God right where you're sitting. Listen very carefully. Say this to God right where you're sitting from your heart. Say, Lord Jesus... I know I'm a sinner, but I believe that you are the Savior. I confess my sin to you, and I ask you to save me. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you in Jesus' name.